on this edition of the Cubs Talk Podcast, brought to you by NBC Sports Chicago and NBCSportsChicago.com. Gordon Wittenmeyer and I say our goodbyes on our final Cubs Talk Podcast. Tim Stebbins, Gordon and I give you our thoughts looking back on 2022 and ahead to 2023. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Let's play two. Back, 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 Way back, it might be, it could be, it is. Holy cow. The fly, he scores. Cup win, cup win. Welcome in to the Cubs Talk Podcast, a presentation of NBC Sports Chicago, NBCSportsChicago.com. Tony Gill, Claire Philippi at the controls, Gordon Wittenmeyer, Tim Stevens, I'm David Kaplan. It is the final podcast that Gordon and I will be a part of. After this, you and I are moving on in our lives. I thought we were going to announce that at the end, but yes, you are correct. Um, yeah, everybody knows you're out of here. Uh, on to bigger and better things in all likelihood. And hopefully, uh, me too. Uh, my contract's also up at the end of the year, which is now. So this is it. Next week, you got Tim talking to himself on the Cubs Talk podcast. Oh, he didn't bury the lead, I guess. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to, we'll at the end give our thoughts because we've had a lot of fun doing this. But let's start with looking back on 2022. Tim, are you optimistic about where the Cubs are today? Because a year ago, none of us were optimistic. I think I was probably overly optimistic a year ago, and now I'm almost the opposite. Like I've turned it around. I'm like cautiously optimistic. And there might be more reason to be optimistic. This yeah, year. now I'm kind of like, I learned my lesson a little bit last year. I probably thought more of what the team was looking like than I, than I should have. Um, I think... They have a lot more work to do, and I don't know if they will be able to accomplish enough this offseason to really elevate themselves, but I do think they have elevated themselves a significant amount since the end of last season. It's just that you can only sign so many free agents that are out there, and a lot of the top ones are off the board. So, like, they've improved, but they still obviously have a ways to go, and that's more down the line that they're going to have to improve in those ways. Prior to the offseason commencing... I still was optimistic. They went 39-31 over the final 70, Gordon. Against the Reds and the Pirates. Uh, yes, but they went 39-31. Justin Steele showed he belongs in the rotation. I think Keegan Thompson fits innings. somewhere in the pitching staff. Marcus Stroman showed you he's a competent major league pitcher. We knew what Marcus Stroman was, and when he was healthy, he, that's who he was. Ian Happ was coming off a really good year, won a gold glove. Uh, I think Seiya Suzuki has 
brighter days ahead of him. Finish strong. Nico Horner had an excellent year. So I was optimistic, hopeful they'd spend. They did. They did. 290.8. Yeah, Tim fixed my math for me since last podcast. 290.8 million on six guys. story. Oh, well, off the top of my head, I I, I remember it wrong. Uh, Let's just be clear. His math struggles because he went to the freaking University of Washington, who is about to get their ass beat by Texas today in the Alamo. You were just waiting. You are just waiting for that, right? Yeah, you're going to be, you know, it's too bad we don't have another podcast after this, buddy, because I'd love to be watching you eat crow after the Huskies, you know, drop about 48 points on Texas and beat them going away. No shot. Who went to Washington here? I couldn't tell. <laughs> Tim and I got a higher education. You went to Washington. You know, it's the Harvard of the West. Wow. I don't know, man. I, th- <laughs> I, don't, I took easy classes in college. <laughs> you, you, know, you know how good a school Washington is? I, I wouldn't have a prayer getting in now. <laughs> That's the way a lot so, of state schools are. Yeah. All right, so how optimistic are you? Um. Well, the way I look at it is this, right? The jury's still out. I mean, they, they started, they stripped it down so far that by the time they started putting together things this offseason, I mean, they might have had five or six. If you're, if, if, if you're a pessimist, they might have had eight or nine. If you're an optimist, big league ball players that are proven on that roster, that's not a lot. That's not enough. It's not enough to field a team. So they had a lot to do just by definition. And they did. To their credit, they did. That's a lot of money they spent on some guys. They targeted, you know, for whatever you might think of Cody Bellinger, they targeted him from the outset and got him on the one-year deal. Uh, I, th- I, th- I believe there's a, 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 an option on that contract. Uh, um, if he performs real well, he's probably gone. But th- he's a talented guy. There's a lot of upside there. That's the perfect contract for him, and it's a good fit. They got him. A lot of other teams wanted him under those circumstances. And they got one of the shortstops. Some people might wish they'd have gotten some of the others. Now that we see what's going on with Carlos Correa and all these the, the, the issues with his physical with two different teams, maybe that's not the one that they would have wanted. Maybe that's not the one any of us think should have thought they wanted. We don't know. We don't know how that's going to play out. But they got one of the four, and that's a big deal. They didn't go out and get Carlos Rodon or, or even uh, – uh, uh, Kode Senga, uh, which, you know, are strikeout guys. Right. I never expected them to be in plan to Grom or Verlander. Right. And they weren't going to do that. But they went out and got Jamison Tyon, one of those guys from the next tier on a four-year deal. Now, if, if everything goes according to script for them and they perform halfway decent with these players and they take a step forward in 2023, then you've got uh, uh, Stroman, Cycling off the payroll after one more year, and and then two years after that, uh, Tyone, and by then that's when they figure their farm system should be kicking in some contributions. So maybe they've done it right. My take on this is, jury's out. We don't know. Um, to Tim's point, but we are going to find out a lot about Jed Hoyer over the next six to eight months what kind of a top executive he is because this was finally his team to build after some a whole bunch of payroll slashing that was ownership driven and then some circumstances that he was still cleaning up the last couple of years. This is now his team. 
And if these choices don't pan out, then, then well, that's on him. Point at him. Because when, Tim, when he was w- with Theo, it was Theo. Yeah. I'm not saying Jed didn't make tremendous contribution, but if it didn't work, the arrow got pointed at Theo. When Jed was in San Diego, he had one of the lowest payrolls in the game. It was different ownership. So he really had his hands tied, came to Chicago, worked with but for Theo Epsi. Now he had to he was the guy that had to sweep away all the legends and had to ride through the payroll and the pandemic and all that. Now, as Gordon said, this is his team, right? Yeah, I mean Theo left him a mess. Let's call it spade a spade, right? And and the mess was only be you only became messier by biblical pandemic losses and and uh, the moves that they. Well, he was part of the mess that was left. We can't uh, say Jed yeah, had but nothing. One guy to had do a year it. left on his contract and bailed. Yeah, I mean, the guy, actually, they, they, the guy that the buck stops with, and actually left ten million dollars. He did not leave in, ten million. He left a fraction of that, and Jed got a raise. So at the end of the day, there was not ten million gained in that. No, Jed got a, a raise. But there was a significant amount of money Theo walked away from. Okay, let's say it's a net gain of four or five million. I don't think that offsets big biblical losses. I don't think that you know he didn't give he didn't he didn't walk away with nothing. No, but uh, what I'm saying is the mess that Tim referred to. Jed was part of the decision making that created some of that mess. But he was not the guy in charge. He was not the guy that the buck stopped with. But now this is his team. It's different. I I agree both those like. I'll say the same thing, though. I mean, like, Jed was a part of it. Buck stopped at Theo. I think, if, like, you're talking about we're going to learn what he's made of and as an executive. If he fails, I don't think anyone's going to be pointing and saying this is Carter Hawkins has their say. Like, no one's going no to point to Carter Hawkins right. first, and they might not point to him at all uh, at this point because it is Jed's, it's Jed and Co. It's Jed Hoyer. It's, yeah. This is his thing. And keep in mind, Kep, you know this better than anybody else, how, how Theo runs an operation. He'll listen to everybody. He'll take all the input. He makes the final decisions. Sometimes even in arenas where there's a director of that department, you know, if, if it's a, if there's a question of who to draft, you know, all the input, it, he will generally let his guy do, do the drafting. But if he feels strongly about something, it's his choice. And these, these free agents, man, same, same thing, going all the way back to, to the Darvish Arietta decision, you know, they, they, there were a lot of people banging the table for both those, either of those guys, um, when when uh, they wound up going after Darvish. So, how far are they away from where you go? Playoffs are the expectation, not the hope. Tim, um, one more off season, at can, least. Can we insert how many teams make the playoffs here now? Seven on each side, right? So is it seven now? Is it seven? Uh, it is no, no, seven. No. Is it seven? No way. I don't know, man. It's forty percent of the league. <laughs> Four I, divisions. Three divisions. Three divisions. It's six. Sorry, six. It's six. It's December. It's forty percent. It's six in each league. I think a year away. Like, look, I, I'll sit here today and I say they could be in the mix for a wild card. We, spot. we don't do math very well on this. Podcast. I, I tell everybody I don't math. Like, yeah. just, I don't math. Look, like they, they could be in the mix among several to many teams for a wild card spot in 2023. They should be. They should be, but many should be. That's the nature of having expanded playoffs, right? It's an average of a second place of every second place team makes it. That's what the average is. Every second place team makes it. Now, 
we saw three teams from some divisions made it last year. Obviously, that that's open to happening, but the expectation should be that they finish second in this division. I think. Yeah, I mean, look, like yeah, if they're not second in this division, that's that's a bad year. I forgot what outlet was doing these projections already for wins total, and this is where I was kind of caught up by it. I think the Brewers had a projected 86 wins and the Phillies 85, so like apparently models still think highly of the Brewers, but I don't know if I would put them above the Phillies personally. I still think like, look, yeah, like second place is more than obtainable for this team if things click the way they should, and guys you've got now, you've definitely improved your team if other things click. I think you're probably looking more 2024, which honestly all along... That was probably the year where you're like, that is the year where division contender without a doubt. I almost think, though, it's kind of gotten to a, through a pathway that a year or two ago I wouldn't have expected. Like, if I was sitting there a year or two ago, I would have said, by 2024, a couple of these top prospects you had would be debuting and that would push you there and you would augment that with signings. Instead, it's kind of happening the other way. Like, they did the signings this winter and a lot of the prospects you kind of were counting on the debut have not debuted, and they're probably not like we're talking Davis and Canario now. Canario got seriously injured in the winter league, so like, but I just saw a picture of him. He has a walking boot on, nothing on his shoulder, yeah, and just the walking boot. And he they said he's coming along much more quickly than they'd hoped. But Miguel Amaya is another one of those guys, yes. multiple years. Ed Howard's of younger, but another one. Ed Howard's uh, been sidetracked for a while now, and and uh, and Braylon Marquez, who the hell knows? I mean, he got. He got uh, outrighted off the roster. And, and then re-signed. And then re-signed because nobody else picked him up because that's that's how far his stock has fallen with, with his injuries. I will say, though, like I'm, if you'd asked me this two years ago, who I would think by 2024 would debut, it would have been largely hitters. Now you look at it and they've added pieces. They're a pitching organization much more. And what have they added on the big league roster? I think they're both. Yeah. I, I, I think they're more balanced than they've been in a long time. Maybe, but I think they're much more pitching. They don't than have we've the high seen. end. Um, I think they have a chance to have more high end pitching right now than they do offensively. Oh, Cade I Horton, I agree with Cade Horton, if he, if he's what they think he is, is a top of the rotation they, starter. They don't have a pitching prospect that you could compare to what PCA is as a hitting and fielding. Disagree. Prospect. Okay. Well, not yet. I mean, at least ranking wise, but. Cade Horton could be that guy. He could be better than PCA. Yeah. There's a lot of big arms in the minors across baseball. No doubt. That, that never stick. But when you take him at what, eight? Seven. Lucky number seven. 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 <laughs> it's like every Chicago yeah. team picks Wait, what's, seven. What's with our damn math today? Uh, getting every number wrong. Cade Horton, everything I've read, if he's who they think he is, he's a top of the rotation starter. That's what they project. God damn, man. I could say that about everybody they've drafted in the first round since they've been here. I could say that about everybody they've traded for since they've been here. No, everybody they've signed. The kid, if it's who they think. The kid he they is. drafted out of Kansas State. Jordan Wicks. He's not projected as a top of the rotation starter. And he wasn't the day he was drafted. He was projected as a three. Solid major league what starter. What I'm saying is, like, if all these guys were what they thought they were when they acquired them, whether they're already big leaguers or guys that they drafted. They'd be great players. They'd be great contributors to a championship team. Right, but what I'm saying, the, this guy's ceiling idea. is much higher. Well, let me go back to my original point. I thought it'd be hitters that were more likely to come up, and now it's more likely there's pitchers that are closer, right? Look what they've done this offseason. They've just 
really strengthen their defense up the middle. You have a lot of good fielders now. And we're talking like Wicks. Wicks could be somebody late in 2023 who comes up. Ben Brown, maybe more optimistically 2024, but who knows? He was in double A for them. Uh, we talked about Kate Horton. He was a college arm, but he only pitched for one year because Tommy John. That's three guys right there. Hayden Wisniewski's already debuted. Like, maybe it's the pitching. Like, we saw, and I, this is, I don't want to directly compare this without remembering what, how long these guys were in the minors, but in 2015, the Mets had young pitchers take them to the World Series, NLCS against the Cubs. The Cubs had on the backs of their young hitters. Maybe it's the opposite now for the Cubs, and then they still have young hitters who they're still prospects, but maybe they could still pan out in spite of some of these injuries they've dealt with. Could be. They've also signed a lot of guys. Okay, hey, you let's, also, let's, let, let's go ahead. What, you what give you? awards every year. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we should take a look back. This is This is the end of 2022. Let's take a look back. Let's look at our favorite moments. Upside, downside, uh, things that summed up the season. I mean, i i like to I like to think that in July, it was like the three days before, three four days before the trade deadline, which was again a decisive point in the season for this club. And it, it, as it turned out, a different way than than a year ago, than, than a year earlier. But <laughs> Jock Peterson steps on deck for the Giants, and from the Cubs dugout. In San Francisco, double birds go up. From Rossi. From Rossi, and he gets caught on camera. Just symbolically. that, that And he that, did it in a loving way. Oh, they're friends. Sure. Yeah, they're, they're pals. And, and uh, believe me, Rossi and I ex- have exchanged a few double birds uh, <laughs> along the way. And it's, it's all cool. It's all, yeah. it's, all, it's all fine. But I thought that kind of underscored kind of t- – to me that was – the definitive symbolic moment of what this season was another losing season, kind of like uh, another season of transition. And, and, and by the way, with our guy, Wilson Contreras twisting in the wind at the moment, because to me, that was the subplot of, that, that underscored the, the entire season, the way he got the way a fan, another fan favorite at the door, the last one, um, you know, Jason Hayward. Yeah. But, but I mean, the last all-star guy out the door, and he winds up with the Cardinals. But he's After sitting in that. the in the clubhouse the day of the trade deadline, and he's literally sitting there going, "Okay, we got thirty minutes left. Where am I going?" He knows he's gone. I mean, th- and that, that's how and they certain can't trade it was. Him. And it turned out that they had a deal done the night before. And then you know they said, "Well, it was a tepid market." If you're getting Jose Urquidy from the Astros, if that deal is done the day before, that's not a tepid market. Correct. And and the fact that they couldn't pivot to get something that was better than a compensation draft pick, to me, um, it, it, look, it was a disservice to what that guy did for the organization and what he continues to bring to the table, I believe, all along. And and then on and then on top of that, you do that to him at the deadline, and then you and then that then you saddle him with the qualifying offer, which makes his free agency tougher. And he still goes out and gets the best catching. Eighty-seven and a half million from your arch rival. From the arch rival, who's a very well-run organization. Much as I despise the St. Louis Cardinals, yeah. they have a quality organization. Exactly. Yeah. You you would you would hope that the Cubs could be that good, that consistently. Okay. Give us. You have awards. Well, you guys don't want to contribute to this. The moments that you remember, your your um, highlights, lowlights. I'll give you Hayden Wisniewski coming up and the way he pitched. Mm-hmm. I was fired up to watch that dude 
pitched deep into ball games. Those were ones that really, really impressed me. Like I looked forward to when he was going to start toward the end of the year. Threw an immaculate inning at one point. He did you, you want to hear an interesting thing about Wisniewski? So they get him from the Yankees, right? And I had this conversation with him right at the end of the season, and then I talked to Cashman about it. Back when I covered the Mariners in the 90s, Jay Buhner was part of that first group that won in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Pinella was the man. And he came from the Yankees. He came from the Yankees. Yeah. Um, just watch Seinfeld, and you can learn about that trade. <laughs> yes, correct. Um, but I, I asked him about that one time, and he, he talked about how when you come into the Yankees organization, they're not – teaching you how to play better to develop you. They're teaching you how to win. They expect you to win at every level. Rookie ball, too. So so if if you have a great rookie ball season, but your rookie ball team sucks, that's not a good season. And and so he was talking about how, how that's different than uh, uh, what he's discovered in other organizations. I asked Wisniewski about that, and he said they, they have a um, this orientation thing. They, they have this thing that they, they do – stress that the history of that organization and that you're expected to win everywhere. And I asked Cashman about it at the GM meetings and Cashman said, we, we do lean hard into our expectations, our legacy, what, what it is to wear the pinstripes. I think that's part of what we saw from Hayden Wisniewski. A good friend of mine who worked, it still does work for the Yankees. So it's not Joe Girardi. Uh, <laughs> said that they are all called into this huge conference room, this huge auditorium. Every employee is sitting there. And Hal Steinbrenner, it used to be George, Hal would step up and say, here's the deal. We have two goals here in this organization. One, the best customer service experience in professional sports. And two, we win the World Series. And if we don't achieve both, I don't care if we go 162-0, and 0, you failed. We are failures. Can you imagine getting that speech from George Steinbrenner? You know where said, that's coming from. You yeah. you could literally win every game, and if you didn't win the World Series, you're failures. He said that's the only way the New York Yankees operate. The best customer service experience and the World Series ring or we're failures. did George get on a PA at Yankee Stadium one time and apologize for his team's performance? I don't Here, remember. Years ago. I, I, I know right after 9-11... The Diamondbacks beat the Yankees. It was an incredible Mariano World blew a save. Correct. Mark Grace got the hit to start it. Oh, oh, uh, start Luis the Gonzalez night. got the the, the game winner. Yeah. And George Steinbrenner, they said, boy, what a great thing for this Diamond. And he was furious. He lost game seven in the bottom of the ninth inning. And they said he was impossible to be around by the locker room. There's no, hey, great season. We oh, got yeah. to get no chance. You are a bunch of losers because you lost. <laughs> yeah, That's how the, he looks at it. He, he called Dave Winfield Mr. May uh, <laughs> b- because he didn't think he performed late late in the season or, or post. He held you to Reggie one did. standard, um, win or lose, black and white. What That's he, it. What did he call Hideki Mitsu? No, it wasn't him. It was, oh, Rabu. Hideki Rabu, a big fat Hideki, tub of goo. Uh, fat toad. <laughs> fat toad. Yeah, yeah. Fat toad. <laughs> He did not care if he offended people. See, the Cubs need owners like that. Every team does. Expectations and so forth. So, Tim, you got some favorite favorite moment? Oh, my favorite moment, partially because I'm narcissistic and I felt really smart after it, but Christopher Morrell goes up in his first plate appearance and friend of the program, old friend of the program, Tony Andraki, is sitting next to me and I said, he's going to go Yahtzee right now. 
And then he hit a home run in his first at bat. And I'm like, wow, I called it. I thought I was cool. No. <laughs> then I would go to talk to Morel after the game, and he called it. He was in the <laughs> dugout. But he wasn't. He pinch hit. Remember, this is his first home run. Right. He goes up to Ross and said, Ross, put me in. I'm going to hit a home run. And then he did. It's like, holy crap, man. And then we obviously know he became a pretty big fan favorite. Uh, and just and he talked about how Wilson would teach him to mm-hmm. breathe, breathe. Wilson to calm was on down. deck. Yeah, Christopher Morel. Breathe. Couple, there's like a, several moments that I think, if you're you know positive moments from their season, a lot of involved Christopher Morel and, and then the Wilson yeah, Contreras too. That's somebody we haven't talked enough about, and, and probably just because he doesn't have a set position, yeah. and we don't know where he's exactly going to fit. And he didn't finish as strong as he started, but he's got a lot of skills and a lot of. He could be your opening day third baseman. He could. He absolutely could be. He could be your opening day a lot of things. And or he could be that first guy up. You're opening day a lot of things. Where? He's well, not beating out Cody Bellinger. He's not, he's not in the middle. He's not of the beating field. out well, Happer depend, Suzuki. On, depending on what what happens with first base, I mean, if DH. I mean, you. I mean, in theory, he could be your center fielder, and Bellinger's your first baseman because of however spring training plays out. I guess. You know. So, but, but I, I, my point is that he can do a lot of things, and he can do them well enough that that he can help you. Well, I see Morel third base kind of conversation this offseason. And did Ross say this or am I imagining it? Like, I personally think he showed he was better up the middle than at third base. Yes. And Ross yeah, kind of backs it up. That too. Yeah. Like, I love that he can, you can play him there in a pinch, but I don't think that was his best position by any means. So that's why I, this conversation, I wrote about this yesterday. Like, what's next? They get all these signings, right? So Swanson, Barnhart, Boxberger, Smiley. They need a corner infielder because. Either Wisdom's going to be a third, and you need someone to pair it with uh, Mervis, assuming he makes the opening day roster in some fashion, or you put Wisdom to complement Mervis, and then you need a third baseman, I think. Eric Hosmer in play? Um, I kind of think he should be. Um, but I, I don't know. He would only cost the league minimum because Boston, yeah. if someone claimed him on waivers, the Cubs, or whomever I should say, would have been responsible for that entire contract. He cleared. And he cleared, so now... Padres, I believe, now they owe all that money, and if you sign him, but if it's, he's worth a, if he's worth a shit, what are they going to do? Fire me? Um, <laughs> why was would nobody have already grabbed him? Well, no one was gonna, no one was gonna claim him on waivers because they right. would be responsible for his contract. So he was never so going to be claimed. He might have twenty five teams talking to him right now, or let's say, legitimately, he might have ten teams talking to him right now. I wonder what he. I mean, that's a good point. I keep saying he was he could sign for the minimum because he's still he will making, only sign for the minimum. But he's still. But if if he has a lot of teams interested, it's not. But it won't be about negotiating money. It'll be about negotiating playing conditions. Why not both? Because because you because you're already making money. It's he's going to get the same amount of money. He's going yeah. to get the mega contract that he's already got. Nobody's going to pay him more than that. And if and if and if I offer to pay pay him, look, I'll give you two million. It just cuts into that same thing. It it's it just takes that that's just money that the Padres don't have to pay. He's not getting any more. Correct. He's getting his money. I'll say this: Mancini last year, or I'll start with Hosmer. Hosmer had a 108 OPS plus total. San Diego was 113. Very small sample with Boston. It was 77. Mancini was 101, 113 with Baltimore, 75 after the trade. So they both were better before they get traded. Hosmer's left-handed. I think I'd still prefer. Mancini because he has more slug, but they keep talking about lefty bat because they're very right-handed heavy. So 
I mean, I think Mancini is the better choice. Handedness be damned. But if they do go lefty, that is a lefty bat out there. All right, you also like to give out awards. Yes. For much of this season, I had a uh, press box wag column. <laughs> and in my press box wag column, I had a douche of the week. Uh, by the way, apologies, Elise, if you're listening. One of our, our best. Uh, Elise. Elise, one of mm-hmm. our listeners and, and uh, best supporters. Uh, she, doesn't, she doesn't like that term. She doesn't like that term. But, um, but for, for the purposes. What are they going to do, fire you? What are they going to do, fire me? Right. So uh, I've got, uh, in honor of the end of the year, my douche of the, of the year, my Cubs douche of the year. And actually it wound up being a tie. Oh, no. a tie. Um, uh, any, anybody that's read my stuff probably can guess one of them. The, uh, the lame-ass marquee network um, for its borderline dishonest Pollyannic coverage of a bad team um, and its self-censorship uh, when it comes to things as dumb as that stupid sports reporter show that's a really terrible knockoff of something this place used to do really well years ago. Um, but uh, they, they don't get the Chicago market, and maybe they'll figure it out. Cubs fans deserve better. So that's one that ties for douche of the year. The other one is Crane Kenny, the business president, uh, um, um, uh, business operations president for uh, preemptively trying to claim the spotlight on the offseason free agent signings a um, couple of times publicly talking about all this money Jed has and simul- while simultaneously throwing Jed Hoyer under the bus in the process, um, which is totally keeping in character um, for his track record. Um, so he, he, was a, he was a late, that was a late push by him to get in the running for douche of the year, but he managed to do it. Ty, those two. Um, I'm not going to do that, but I'll do like a quote of the year. I'll give you a couple quotes of the year. Is it at least a douchey quote? No, but I thought I'd get a kick out of it. I just remember it. It was when, you know, they were downward spiral early the season in May and Wilson Contreras said, uh, losing sucks. <laughs> and then, you know, it did not get better. I think they had a downward spiral. And Didn't they lose 11 in a row? They, got, they had a long losing streak in June. I believe that's when Jed Hoyer said, as like, he called like a multi-system failure. That was another memorable quote, I thought. Um, Contreras, again, our memorable quotes. Trade deadline, he said he knew it would get to him at some point. Remember, this is a guy all year. Spring training, you and the other reporters down there were asking him about it, and he, he was getting asked about the potential of this being his last year getting traded from February, March on. He said it was. The way he answered the question, this is my last year. And he he held up very strongly, like he answered did. all of our questions about it, still had an all-star first half, the arbitration process, all that. And then, you know, right before the deadline that Monday, he he, he broke down. He got emotional. He said, I knew it would get to me at some point. And, and then what he's saying in San Francisco, I just want this to be over. Like, those are the quotes I think of it. And, a big storyline for the 2022 Cubs season was Wilson Contreras and what they kind of put him through and what he went through and not getting traded, I guess. And, and being successful through it all. Yeah. It was. I, my biggest takeaway is I flew down to South Bend and watched PCA play oh, yeah. and Owen Casey. The fact that they gave up three months of Javi Baez for a guy that I think is going to be a stud. I'm not telling you he's Mike Trout. 
He's a gold glove caliber defender. He's got 20 home run potential. He's got 285, 290 batting average potential. He runs well. He's loved in his clubhouse. That was a hell of a trade by Jed Hoyer and staff. It hell looks like trade. it now. He's still got to do it. He's got to prove it. But, but the fact that he's at the top of your prospect ranking, I don't mean yours, that the Cubs prospect rankings, he's number one, that's a hell of a trade. I think they won that trade. I'd already say that confidently. Javi Baez is in Detroit. Cubs gave up three months of Javi Baez for all the things that you just said. He's still a prospect, but right. they weren't going to resign Javi Baez. They well, may- if they weren't going to resign him, yeah. that was the thing. There, there was some thought that they might yet yeah. keep him. So once they made a decision, that's what they get for Javi Baez before free agency. I think, I think they won that trade. I just think that of all five Chicago teams, like 1978, I can remember being almost as bad in Chicago sports as it is now. Bulls, ugh. Blackhawks, horrible. Bears, brutal. White Sox, wildly disappointing. Cubs, rebuilding. I'll argue with anyone, the Cubs arrow is pointing upward more than any of the other four teams. You know, you might be right, you might be wrong. I'm not, I'm not going to debate you on that point, believe it or not. What are you, a weatherman? Um, <laughs> but I will say this. Compared to 1978, this is way worse in Chicago sports. And it's way worse because, by and large, these teams chose these paths. And paths that weren't even considered in the landscape of American well, sports. Well, the White Sox have talent. They just had a wildly disappointing right. year. And they tanked to get where they did because the Cubs tanked successfully the last time. And then, basically, unless, the, unless things turn around fast... These next this next year or two with the White Sox, they will have tanked for nothing, and they will have to whatever you want to call it to to whatever extent. retank retank rebuild whatever they do. You know, God only knows what direction the Bulls are going to have to go in. I mean, they're beating good teams, they're losing to crap teams. Um, they're not a champion. They're not even close. Um, the Bears. I mean, that league is built for parity. When your NFL team is tanking. That's sad. That's a sad state of affairs. And, uh, and the Blackhawks, you know, after all that success, they, they stink. And, but that's where we are. That's Connor, where we Bedard, are. Connor Bedard puts on an Indian head sweater next winter. No one's going to have a problem with it. He's the next Patrick Kane-style player. Yeah, well, I'm going to have a problem with it because I'm going to have a problem with this, that this is the way business and sports is being conducted now. And, and it stinks for the fans. I got some numbers, uh, courtesy of John Greenberg at The Athletic. He crunched this. This was through the 20th of this month. This is the worst Chicago sports month for the combined five teams, winning percentage-wise. Bulls, Blackhawks, Cubs, Sox, Bears, since 1999. So it's literally it's not been this bad in pretty much my whole lifetime. Didn't they have some crazy combined losing streak? Um, they didn't win. Until the Bulls won a game? Yeah. They had lost, I believe, 18 in a row. Between the five Between teams the, combined. Well, you know baseball, but you had the yeah. Bulls. The Bears and the Blackhawks, 18 consecutive losses. All right, before we get out of here, this is our final appearance on the podcast. You and I are both leaving the company. Yep. I just want to say that it has been an honor to be your guys' teammates, Claire, Tony, Tim, Gordon. I've been here 15 years. I've had a freaking unbelievable time for all of it. And you guys make it a lot of fun, and I will miss doing this with all of you, but I will be around. Cap, I think I've known you for most of that 
15 years. I've been mm-hmm. doing the Cubs for, for 16 and mm-hmm. used to go on that sports talk live show Yep, and we saw each other at the ballpark. And then we've had these, this, this chance, these last three years to work together. It's been terrific. Tim, I've gotten to know you these last three years, um, Claire and Tony, same thing. I mean, this has been a great experience, nothing but great experience. I consider all you guys good friends. Um, you and I go way back. We do. Uh, and, uh, it's it's not going to be easy to leave, honestly. Same here. Um, and uh, but I don't I, I I can speak for myself. I don't think you've seen the last of me. The feeling is mutual. We will surface, I'm sure. Oh yeah, and somewhere. And, and if not, we'll be in the bleachers and together, heads up, drinking a beer. I don't think the Cubs have seen the last of me. Good. Let's keep it that way. I'd just All like right. to chime in really quick that. Uh, I, I have uh I've been here my whole four year professional life and uh I've learned a lot from you guys so I'm going to not only miss working with you because you're friends but or let me start that in not not narcissistic way I miss working with you guys because I've learned a lot and it's been crazy that I've gotten to work with you guys at my age but also because you know you guys are great friends to me and it's gonna it's been fun as you said and uh I hope hope we uh you guys around i guess <laughs> we'll be sitting in the bleachers yelling at all of you we'll be drinking <laughs> beer on a hot summer day oh yeah so for claire and for tony for tim for gordon i'm cap thank you so much for supporting this podcast continue to do so tim and company will be here next week our love to all of you happy new year happy new year look around you can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.